2: The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology. Getting started as an owner operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority. The list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone and give me a call Uh, for Those of you who were listening um, last weekend, depending on when you hear this, um, I did an entire weekend of politics. And I don't do a lot of politics. I'd like to, actually. Um, Some of you will remember uh, five or six years ago when we first started our podcast series, we had a show called The Pit, which I loved. It was politics in trucking, The Pit. And we did it uh, for a couple months. The problem was the show got a little tedious because 99 percent of our callers agreed with me and political shows just, in my opinion, don't work very well without some debate and controversy. We just couldn't get people who would voice a different opinion. It was wonderful that people agreed with me, but it doesn't make for a very good show. Um, So I don't do a whole lot of politics, but finally I got to the point where I thought, oh, this election is such a disaster. I'm actually embarrassed by it. Um, I couldn't vote for either one of the two major party candidates. I don't even want to use their name. I'm so disgusted with this entire political process. And I came out in, you know, claiming that and, and telling people I'm voting my conscience Finally, I keep going back and forth for the last 20 years. I've been a libertarian for the last 20 years. And I finally decided I'm voting libertarian from now on, unless the candidate is just absolutely horrible. But right now, clearly, I would much rather see Gary Johnson as president than either one of the other two. But I'm not going to talk about that a lot today. I just want to bring it up because I got the usual... um, hate mail, not so much on Facebook. I was surprised. I started a conversation on Facebook. The discussion was actually really good, but I got the usual emails, instant messages, private messages saying, if you're voting for Gary Johnson, I'll never listen to your show again. I'll have a nice life. I I, I really, if people believe that whether or not they listen to my show would change my decision on something this important, then they shouldn't listen to my show because they obviously have zero faith in my conviction. I think people that listen to this show know that I don't just say things offhand. I don't just make outrageous statements. I do lots of research I form very, very strong opinions based on my research. And I've been a libertarian for 20 years. I, I've studied politics, not, not to the point that some people do, but, but I've made my opinions based on fact. I didn't decide to be libertarian just because I don't like the other two candidates. I've been a libertarian for a very long time. I'm a very strong libertarian. I don't see that changing. So if people think because they threaten to stop listening to my show, I'm, I'm going to change my mind, like I said, have a nice life. I, you know, if, if everybody stops listening to my show, I'll go do something else. I, I had a great life before the show. So it, it's like I said, most of the response was excellent. Even the people who disagreed with me on Facebook disagreed in a very respectful way and I respect their opinion. I don't care who they're voting for. I respect their opinion, and they respected mine. It was mostly the emails, private messages, things like that. Um, so I, I want to talk about something today, and I know some people are going to say this is either a destination health topic or a political topic or whatever it is, but this is clearly a trucking topic, and it ties in, to both of those things that I believe in the the things we talk about on destination health and my views on government and politics and and here's the topic I want to uh, bring up today. There was recently a court case, um, Creek carrier. And I, I'm trying to look through the details here to see when this goes back to, uh, Creek carrier fired a driver. Oh, this was back in 2012. Um, his height was recorded at six foot five inches and his weight was 296 pounds. That makes his BMI greater than 35. He qualified for a two year medical card. He had no health issues that would have disqualified him, but his BMI was greater than 35. Now, I have a huge problem with BMI anyway. It is a very inaccurate measure of anything. All they do is take your height and weight and then calculate this number and then use it to determine your health. That's insane. That's ridiculous. In fact, if any of you were in the military in the early to mid 80s, I was. um, And at the time, I was a competitive power lifter and was considering doing some competitive bodybuilding. I owned a gym when I was 19, um, and I was pretty into powerlifting at the time. And because of all the powerlifting and the training, I'm pretty short, if you haven't noticed, 5'5", uh, five, five, if I stretch a little. And at the time, I weighed almost, when I was training hard, I almost got to 190 pounds a couple times. Um, and then what I would do when I powerlifted is I would actually cut weight down to about 155 for my weight class. Um, which reminded me a lot of my wrestling days, I did the same thing. But when I was training, I, I would bulk up and I would stay in the 180s. Well, at 5'5 and 180, I had a very high BMI, but I had 10% body fat. And when I trained at 160, I was down in the 6 and 7% range on body fat. There, BMI was not a good indicator of health, obviously. Um, in the military at the time, I had I had a first sergeant who was obese. There were people in the military at that time, very obese. And the army finally said, look, we have to do something. But they used BMI. I almost got thrown out of the army. They were telling me I had to lose weight to stay in the army. And I was in excellent physical condition. So BMI is a problem to begin with. So here's a guy who passes his DOT physical. No problems whatsoever. His BMI is 35. I don't know if he's obese or not. Maybe he's a power lifter. Maybe he's not a power lifter, but maybe he's healthy. He's just fat. But Crete decided because his BMI was over 35, they wanted him to take a sleep apnea test. Well, there is some correlation between BMI and sleep apnea, but not a lot. There are skinny people who have sleep apnea. So the whole criteria they were using, I think, is wrong. The driver refused. I'm glad he did. And they fired him. And he's been fighting it ever since. And the court just ruled that Crete was in the right. Crete And and all trucking companies have the right to force you a sleep apnea test based on BMI. Or maybe they can come up with any other criteria they want. Maybe who knows? And you may say this is ridiculous. I don't think so. Based on what I'm seeing in the courts. What if you're a team driver and your co-driver complains that you snore at night? Are they going to force you to take a sleep apnea test? And then if you are deemed to have sleep apnea? Are you going to have to buy a CPAP and and, and use it consistently? And are are you going to have to submit the records that you've been using your, your CPAP machine? That's where we're headed. This is where all of this government regulation is taking us. And trust me, the two major parties, both of them, the Republicans and the Democrats, we might as well just merge the two parties and be done with it because they're the same. They are both for big government, they are both for more regulation, and this is what we're heading for. So I believe we need to attack this in two ways. One, I think we we do need to get healthier, and that's why we have the show Destination Health. I'm not saying that sleep apnea is not a problem, it clearly is. I know people who love their CPAP machines. I'm glad that they love their machine, But I think we have to look at it from the point of view of what went wrong with your body that you need the machine. We shouldn't. We shouldn't need a machine to sleep normally. We shouldn't need a machine to live normally. So I think we need to attack it on two fronts, the health front, which we are on destination health, and the political front. And the only party I see that's going to stop this madness are the libertarians. Libertarians would never stand for this kind of stuff. I'm going to get to a break. When we come back, we'll get to your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right to your phone calls. Let's start off in Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program.
0: Hey, Kevin. I actually do have some questions today, but now you started that rant, so I'm going to respond.
2: All
3: right.
4: Go
0: I've ahead. Seen, a, a thing, I seen a thing on Facebook just yesterday, and it was through Overdrive Magazine telling the story you just told about. And I put a big long comment. I haven't been back on to see if anybody's blasting me back. But what happened to me, I do have sleep apnea. I had a lazy eye right side. I was at a doctor to get it taken care of because my vision was bad because of the lazy eye. And the doc looks at me, he says, you got sleep apnea. I said, What are you talking about, doc? And This is a surgeon. He said, I can see it in your eyes really at that time i was five foot nine 306 pounds now because of what you guys have been doing with destination health the ntp program i'm still five nine but i'm only 226 pounds, so you're kidding. pounds
2: we, down. we haven't made you taller yet
0: no i'm still five foot nine i want to be six foot eight 180 but i don't think it's gonna happen but so i've lost 80 pounds I still have sleep apnea. It's no different than it was when I was 306 when I started. I do go to my sleep doctor every year. He takes the download off the machine. It tells how much pressure the machine is going to, which tells him how bad your sleep apnea is. It hasn't changed one iota. didn't have anything to do with BMI. Evidently, I've had it for years. It will change your world if you honestly have sleep apnea. Yes, it will. Cost isn't that big a deal now. You can do it for 1000 bucks. test, machine, everything. You can do it. But the government telling us to do it just because they think so and overregulating, what about all the cars? There, are, We got a cop in South Bloomfield, Ohio, right here where I live, just up the road. He is so big that when he gets out of his cruiser, the car comes up. <laughs> Do you think maybe that he's got apnea and he's going to be pulling people over because he thinks he sees somebody speeding? It's really a hallucination because he didn't sleep last night. Come on.
2: Sure. It's ridiculous. Or, what, Now, look, I, I, I'm not one to say that we need to put these same kind of stipulations or regulations on the general public, but you're talking about a police officer. So, yes, this is a good comparison. What if he's in a high-speed chase? That's, that is a far right. more dangerous situation than a – or a gunfight. I mean, we could go on and on and on, and yet they don't have to deal with this. And, you know, I, I am going to do more research on sleep apnea because my belief is if this is that serious of a condition, then something has gone wrong with our body. We would not have evolved as the master race, the master species on the planet if we had this problem. So if if it is a problem, and I I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard from people like you, and I believe you, that when you treat this, you feel better. So I I believe that it exists. Yeah, and I, I believe that. But I also believe that something has gone wrong. Like most of our diseases, something has gone wrong. And what I'd like to find out, and I will, what is the root cause? And can we fix the root cause? Because that would be the real answer. Correct. But it, so I have a. And yours is a good point. It, it wasn't the weight, because that hasn't changed anything.
0: Right. I have a friend. He's also a big boy, just like I was. Sadly, he hasn't been able to lose, but... He went and had the surgery done two times that they say we'll fix sleep apnea because they say, all your the tubing and your bronicle and everything's messed up. They can do the surgery. You don't need CPAP. He's had it done twice. He still to this day is on CPAP. That didn't do anything either. So clearly, modern medicine can't fix it. So you're right. Something else is wrong. Why do we have this? I agree.
2: Yeah, so so the, the reason I brought this topic up, one, I think it is very important in the trucking industry, but two, it fits right in with two topics I'm really passionate about. One, we need to get healthier, because if we were healthier, this would never be an issue. If we could figure the, these things out, we wouldn't have to be so afraid of the, the government's regulations. Um, most of this is driven by profit. uh, Again, CPAP or uh, sleep apnea testing, there's money involved. So somebody's making money off the testing. Somebody's making money off of CPAP machines, CPAP supplies, and and retesting and revisiting, and there's money here. So, uh, of course, there's somebody out there is lobbying the government to make this mandatory. Or now we have a court that says, There may not be a law that says it's mandatory yet, but we're going to back the trucking company. If they want to force you to take this test just for whatever criteria they deem necessary, then you either take the test or they can fire you. Now, being a libertarian, I think the company should be able to fire you for whatever they want. But I don't like people being targeted like this.
0: I don't either. I'm leased to XPO Drage, used to be Bridge Terminal Transport. They pay for our physical. They mandate what doctor we go to, and they have instructions from our company to use the the ghost criteria that doesn't even exist with the FMCSA. It doesn't even exist. Not even a regulation. It's guidance at best. They actually use it. I can only get a one-year card now because of sleep apnea, even though I show 100% usage, average of over seven hours a night, and their criteria is 70% four hours a night. I'm clearly above that, but I can only get a one-year card now, and it's all BS. I asked the doctor, I said, Doc. Show me in the regulation, the green and white book. If you need a copy, I got one out in the truck. I'll go get it. Show me the regulation that says you can do this. Where is the regulation? He couldn't show it to me. I said, so why are you holding me up to a standard that doesn't even exist in the law? Why are you doing this? You should give me a two-year card. I have written, documented proof from my machine, my doctor, everything, that I'm good. And you won't only give me but a one-year card. It's completely wrong.
2: It is. So... Now, this fits right in with two of the things that I'm passionate about. One, we just need to get healthy so they don't have as much ammunition to use against us. And two, we need a third party. This this would not happen in the world.
0: Unbelievable. Well, my question, you know, we're going to these, I'll go ahead and say it, silly-ass electronic logs. And they're using the data port in your truck to plug in the brain of the electronic log. I have a scan gauge. Is there such a thing as a Y or a T connector that would allow me to still have my scan gauge and be able to plug in that stupid electronic log when that comes?
2: Yeah, and it looks like we're going to have to go find those and stock them. I haven't paid much attention to this. Um, in my truck, when, it, when I was using more than one device, I was testing some other things on that port, some other ideas. Um, I, I rewired my own truck to have a second port, which – or the, the other way I've done it, I've helped people wire their trucks so that one of the devices is hardwired, and then the port is still available. So there, there are a couple options wow. – DIY if you're handy with a, you know, with, and it's not all that complicated. You're just splicing some wires, putting in some new connections. Um, but some people would be pretty uncomfortable with that. So um, I, I didn't like the idea of kind of the mess that a Y is going to make. You know, it, it's, you've already got a cable and it's a pretty good size plug that sticks out. And depending on where it is in your truck, it can be a little intrusive. I know there's one model of truck where if your foot sticks off the clutch pedal a little bit, you keep running into the plug on a lot of the freight liners. It's right there when you open the door. So I wasn't wild about the idea of a why it's going to be pretty bulky, but it looks like we're, we're going to need to either go find one. I, I don't know if one exists. I need to go figure it out or we need to, you know, get one manufactured, but just as another option, you know, either pay a shop or somebody who's, you know, just a little handy with electrical wiring and hardwire one of the devices or hardwire in a second port.
0: Okay. Okay. The other one's about road king shocks. I do have them. I've had since March of this year. I've heard of problems with their shock absorbers leaking oil. And now that I've had them on for a while, I've been watching it because I had heard of it. I didn't see any initially, but now they've been on a while. I have four out of the six that have enough oil leaking out that when dust and dirt flies around, it sticks to it. So now I can see that there is oil on the the side and the body of the shock. How much oil is acceptable, if any, and what do I need to do?
2: Got it. Let me, uh, well, let me just tell you, if all you're seeing is a little bit of dust and film, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, that's fairly normal. I, although I've had them that just didn't do that at all, and I know lots that don't. A little bit of film, I wouldn't worry about If you've got oil dripping off the shock, then you've got to get that sealed. Um, so it, it's kind of a judgment call. But if all you're seeing is a little bit of dust and dirt creating, film, I wouldn't worry about it. It's a shock
1: still. Well,
2: stick around. We'll be right back. Jeff Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We're off to Texas. Leo, welcome to the program. Leo, are you with me? Oh, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Uh um, you go. Ch- how are
5: you doing? Good. Yeah. Uh, you, you should have an oil sample there.
2: I do. Tell me what year this engine is.
5: Well, it's uh, one of those uh, Schneider gliders. Uh, I got it with about 490,000 miles on it. This is basically the second oil change that I've done to this truck.
2: Okay, so let me go through some numbers here. 554,000 miles or so on the truck and about 28,000 miles on this oil. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, Is it burning a lot of oil?
5: Uh, it's not burning any oil at all.
2: Good. Okay. That, that, because then everything else that I'm seeing on this sample can be fixed. Um, you've got an injector problem. And it, it, did you have an injector problem in July and have them replaced?
5: Uh, no, uh, I didn't. Uh, that's why I, after that, uh, one in July, I did a. Uh, oil sample after I changed the oil at 5,000 miles on that oil, for that okay. you know for that sample, and then it right. came back uh, really clean, so I figured it uh, was just for the, well, the vitoline or stuff like that.
2: Well, you know, with it, we we you know reading oil samples is really tricky. Um, people have asked me many, many times, can't you put a chart together that says if this happens, then it's this? And and I tried. I've tried many times and I can't because there's too many variables. If I, you know, the sample of 5,000 miles on it, we were already at 2.7 on the fuel dilution. Now, if an engine has, tw- or if oil has 25,000 miles on it and fuel dilution is 2.7, I don't even pay any attention to it. But at 5,000 miles, there's that's fuel dilution going on. Um, the soot was at 0.2. That probably would have concerned me with only 5,000 miles, but it's hard to read a sample with only 5,000 miles. Um, but those things would have concerned me a little bit. Now we can see your fuel dilution is at 4.4. Back in July, it was at 8.4. That's off the charts. And your soot is at 2.4. You've got fuel getting in the in the oil. You've got fuel not being burned properly because we're getting too much fuel into the cylinder. So it's killing the base. It's oxidizing. We're starting to see higher wear metals. This truck has an injector problem. Um, it needs a set of okay. injectors. Okay,
1: if
5: you notice uh, the, the oil sample in September, though, It's that same oil after that 8.4 that I had on fuel dilution. I changed the oil immediately after that, and I said 5,000 miles after I did that oil sample. And then I did another one at uh, 54,000 miles, uh, not on the oil, of course. Then I did another one uh, that should have been at about 12,000 miles after the 5,000 miles uh, uh, analysis I did. And it came back right. at zero point
2: zero. Something is actually wrong with that sample, and I don't know what it is. That that sample makes no sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, so, so that's why
5: sometime, I didn't change it in, until this time.
2: Right, right. Yeah, it, and I would have done the same thing. We we almost have to throw out that September sample, and I I don't know why it came out like that, but none of those numbers look right. Um, like it, it looks to me like that oil came from a completely different truck, honestly. I, I don't know what could have happened. But looking at the history on this truck and clearly looking at this sample, this truck needs injectors.
5: Okay, yeah, sometimes uh, the truck uh, at a, an idle, it'll start acting like it's uh, miss, missing.
1: Oh,
2: I'm not surprised. Uh, in-
5: So is that a a thing about the that might have to do with the fuel injector problem
2: or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, injectors don't always cause problems that we notice, but many times they do. And many times those um, those symptoms are missing at idle, lack of power, hesitation, uh, you know, all kinds of things. But we don't we don't always get those symptoms that's why oil analysis is so much more important and this one hands down this this engine needs some injectors let's go to indiana dustin welcome to the program it's dustin yep it's your turn go ahead
6: oh hi kevin um
7: I had emailed a link over to your team about a new insulin pump that my wife is considering getting. She is a type one diabetic. Um, She's been a, since she was nine years old, she's not quite 40 yet. So um, this insulin pump is a hybrid closed loop where it would read the blood sugar every five minutes and adjust the insulin on that. I guess my question is, I have talked to her endocrinologist about um, doing a low carb, high fat, and getting his help on it, and he says absolutely no way. And I'm in the process of trying to find a doctor around here that will work with her. Um, okay. Do you think, do you think this insulin pump, if you went the the low carb, high fat, would uh, be beneficial to her? Her A1C is a lot better the, it, with the insulin pump she has now. Um, right now, it's right around seven um but i'm just kind of wondering because uh the cost would be a little bit more that's not a huge factor but i just was kind of get your opinion on it
2: so let me start with that part of the question and then we'll talk about her type one and her health in general um I, i don't feel qualified to help you with the idea on the pump um i i did a little reading on them but I could immediately tell trying to read the differences in the pump and the hybrid and the closed loop and all that. I I, am not qualified to answer that question. Um, I I don't know if this one would be better or not. Um, but, but I can certainly address her general health in the type one. Um, had I been there asking the doctor about low carb, high fat, and he said, absolutely not. My next question would be why. And did he give you any reasons?
7: He said that she needs carbs, and without the carbs, she would get sick. That was his, uh, I think that was pretty much his exact words, because I did ask why when, when he told us that. Yes. So,
2: so we're not saying no carbs, kind of ridiculous. Of course we're going to eat carbs. It, and right. Sick how? Sick how? I mean. I,
1: um,
2: I,
7: basically, from the the impression I got is he would be, she would be intaking too much insulin and she needs the carbs to cover the insulin that she's
2: taking. But I know better
7: that you only need the insulin if you're intaking carbs.
2: Uh, Correct. Now, type one, you always need some insulin because we are going to eat. carbs. And even if, if if you're type one, even if you, could possibly figure out how to eat zero carb, which is almost impossible, your body is going to produce glucose. It will produce it from protein. If I did stop eating protein, your body has the ability to produce glucose from fat. It's, It's much more difficult, but it can do it. Your body needs glucose and it will find a way to manufacture it if it has to. So a type one is always going to need some insulin. The problem with the standard medical response to this is eat whatever you want and we'll cover it with insulin. And that's where the danger comes in because then we get high blood sugar, we get low blood sugar, both are dangerous. And and that's why they've had to try to develop these pumps. Because So I do know a little bit about the pumps, but I'm not, like I said, I, I don't feel qualified to answer which one might be better. But the idea is it is so difficult for a type one to keep their blood sugar balanced because they don't produce any insulin. Their body could be also insulin resistant. We, it, it, it's, it's a possibility to have both and you never react the exact same way to a certain food. Stress is involved. Right. How much is so many things. So type ones, many many health risks because it's so hard to balance their blood sugar so the medical community's answer is okay we we'll, we'll we'll create a smart pump that monitors blood and injects the insulin I don't I don't think that's a bad idea I don't know enough about it but I think a better idea is the lower carbohydrate intake you take the easier it is to keep things balanced so I There is tons of information out there about type 1 diabetics using a low-carb, high-fat diet very successfully. So let me, uh, and I know you know that and feel that way. Let me get to a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about it right after this. Stick around. All right, we're heading into the final segment. Let me take a look at the calls and questions. Oh, boy, we're flooded. Looks like uh, you guys are going to make me work another hour today. So at the end of this, don't hang up. We'll come back. We'll get to your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Dustin in Indiana. So Dustin, I think you're on the right track. Um, I, I, The pumps, you know, maybe you'll find a doctor that could help you with that. I, I I just don't know enough about them, but I think you're on the right track to find a new endocrinologist because anybody that says it's a bad idea to try minimizing your carbs when you're a type one, I think is just way off track.
6: Right. Right.
7: Yeah. We've got a a natural path. I've just found, I'm trying to get in to see if I can, um, it looks, it looks looks like they do more OB GYN stuff and that kind of stuff. I got to get over there and see if they can uh, accept her as a patient possibly. I think that might be a good start.
2: I just got a, uh, a recommendation on a text from my son. He follows a lot of this stuff. He's a, uh, a primal coach, and he's, he understands a lot of this, and he works with people. And he's recommending um, following a Dr. Richard Bernstein, M.D. He's a, he's a low-carb, high-fat proponent, and he has type 1. He's had it for decades. So there's a doctor who has the disease and understands the low-carb, high-fat. So that might be a great place for you to start and find some resources.
7: Yeah, I'll have to do that. Um, And then I personally have been on the keto since February. Um, I'm down 60 pounds now. I feel great. Um, But I have hit a stall where I haven't lost any weight in the past five weeks. Um, I haven't changed anything in my diet. Uh, I'm still very careful about um, uh, my carb intake, and I'm really counting my protein. I'm right around 70 to 80 grams a day, but I haven't lost a pound. Is that something normal, or is there something I can do to jumpstart that again?
2: It's pretty common. It happens to a lot of people, and there are lots of things you can do to jumpstart it. And there are a couple ways to approach this. You can just start randomly trying things and see what works. Or you could dig a little deeper, possibly, with an NTP. We could have some thyroid issues. We could have some adrenal issues. We could have some digestion issues. Um, two, Two questions might help us in the right direction. How much more weight would you like to lose?
7: I was 330 when I started. I'm about 273 right now. I would be happy if I lost another 50. I think I would like to get down to 200 just because I could. I'm six foot tall. I was
0: 210 in
7: 2000, and I think I look too skinny anyways. But, you know, another 50 pounds or so at least.
2: Got it. Okay. So you've got a a little ways to go. You've done some amazing things already, no question. so I, I would pursue some ideas on, on how to get through this. One of the things I would would start with is digestion. Are you measuring ketones?
7: No, I don't have that meter yet. I've been meaning to get one and I just haven't done it yet.
2: I think I'd start with that. If you're eating the right diet, you know, low carb and high fat, and you're watching your protein and you just said you're doing all those things, if your body's not getting into ketosis. That, that could slow down some of the weight loss. So one of the first things we'd want to check is, just: are you getting into ketosis? Then we could address that. Um, if, if that isn't it, then I would look at adrenals and thyroid. Both of those two can really affect weight loss. Um We're getting ready to start doing one-on-ones, or you can find another NTP. We have a lot of NTPs that we're talking to and working with and sending people to because they're going to dig down, even though not all NTPs believe in a ketogenic diet. Uh, In fact, some just don't. But we believe that it's a good therapeutic diet. And I believe that where you are, you should stay on a good, solid ketogenic diet until you get closer to your weight goal. We just have to figure out why it's stalled. Are what's your Mm -hmm. activity level like?
7: Um, I drive a fuel tanker and I actually do get quite a bit of work at night, you know, four, five, six loads a day. Um on the weekends or on the my days off, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'm uh I do stuff with the kids. I'm I don't I don't like sitting around, even though I don't exercise, I'm not plop on the couch forever. So
2: yeah, and I'm not too worried about formal exercise. I know what it's like running a tanker. That's keeping you pretty active while you're working. You say you don't like sitting around. So you're active with the kids. I think that's fine. I don't think activity is what would get us through this roadblock, but I, I just wanted to see if that was a possibility. Um, one of the things you, you have to watch, especially for drivers, if you're snacking without paying attention, you know, it, it's, when you're on a good ketogenic diet, our appetite works right, and we, your body normally won't take in more calories than it needs, unless you're kind of doing mindless snacking, and we tend to snack on higher fat kind of things, um, nuts and and seeds and you know fatty meats and those kind of things. So, just maybe pay attention throughout the day, see if you're snacking more than you really. Need to, if you're really kind of just reaching for it as a habit or because you're bored, um, that may be an issue. But I, I think we may need to dig a little deeper um, I, on the adrenal and the thyroid and, and some hormone balance if you're really stuck. The other thing that sometimes works, um, look at some different options on fasting. Sometimes a, a yeah, I, fast. I've seen can... that
7: book and I might, I might do that.
2: Yeah, sometimes that can do it. We've seen the roadblocks that don't feel like you're doing something wrong happens a lot. Um, and, and there are usually five or six different things that can cause this. So if you just want to try on your own, you can look through some of the things I mentioned. If or you can do some reading or, you know, we could start doing some testing and see if we could narrow it down.
7: Yeah, I've been trying to find an NTP around my area, and unfortunately, really the closest one is Chicago, and I, I hate going out there, and you know that's a couple-hour drive. Um, I was right. maybe thinking if I could do it by Skype or something like that, I might look into that also.
2: Well, if you play around with this on your own and you don't get a breakthrough, by then we might be doing some one-on-ones.
7: Okay, that sounds good.
2: All right, we'll uh, we'll talk to you. You know, don't and, and I can hear it. You're not discouraged. You, you've made amazing gains already. So keep doing what you're doing. Play around with some things. See if you get through this roadblock. Let's go to Wisconsin, Mike. Welcome to the program. I hope you're talking about me here. <laughs> I am. It's your turn. What's on your mind today?
4: All right. Um i got a few questions, more about the uh, California emissions with these updated trucks. Now, uh, I know your stance on if I look to buy a truck, it's a pointless task to go out and buy a new truck, and I agree with that. I mean, I would never lease on a truck. My question is: is, I was talking to another driver who had a 2007 Columbia, and to and it was a simple fix for the EGR on that truck. He replaced a sensor that made the EGR system think that it was above a certain
2: altitude and it never kicks open. Hold on. That that's not a fix. We 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 identified that 6 years ago. That's not a fix. You know, shutting the EGR okay. does not it does not fix the problems on these engines. Um we looked at it, we tested it, we ran it by the engineers at Pittsburgh Power. They said, absolutely not. This system is not that simple. I mean, if that's the case, let's just weld the EGR valve closed. Who needs a sensor? But but that's not, that doesn't fix all the problems. There, there's lots of other stuff going on. All right.
4: Because I was just wondering on that, if they made anything as such, like maybe a sensor a switch that could defeat all the DPF and DEF systems. But if you're saying that uh, that uh, altitude switch and the older systems doesn't do anything in the long run, I guess that's kind of a pointless question.
2: Yeah, there is no way we are going to counteract all the things that are going on in an egr system a dpf system an scr system these are incredibly complicated systems all talking to each other and turning them off doesn't fix the problem in fact it can create more problems now i, I will tell you that i i am changing my stance on the the newer engines because Pittsburgh power has been able to figure out how to keep these things running. Right. I don't know if we're a hundred percent there yet. And if I lived in a part of a country, the part of a country where I couldn't get to them very often, I still wouldn't own one, but I, but I'm starting to soften my stance on this a little bit because they have made pretty amazing strides and and they are not doing it by deleting anything anymore. That was years ago. They are doing it by figuring out how to make those systems function the way they were designed to function and keep them running right. So this is changing. So I I would consider a newer engine, possibly. Not quite 100% there yet, but I'm getting closer. But it's not an easy fix. It's not a sensor or welding a valve closed quite a bit more complicated than that. I'm all out of time. We'll see you next show. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rutherford. All right, we're going to do another hour. Let's get started.
6: Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry.
4: This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that
2: puts the money where it belongs,
6: back in your pocket.
2: Welcome to my world, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority. The list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call and we'll talk about it. We're uh I think i'm just going to get right to the calls tonight we've uh we've had a lot of calls lately and uh i want to get to as many as i can let's start off in texas matt welcome to the program hello yep it's your turn what's on your mind today
8: hey kevin this is matt i just want to check in with you guys um i have filed my taxes and i'm I'm running into a problem where I don't have enough depreciation anymore. And I got a really large tax bill. And what I really need to know is, well, if you get behind, you don't, you're not able to pay all the money to the IRS. Um, are you able to set up a payment plan or do I need to go through like one of those uh, law firm companies that you see on TV late at night well,
2: or just kind of looking for some help with that? Don't go through one of those companies. You hear advertising. They, they are advertising for, uh, all they're really doing, the IRS has a program called Offer and Compromise, and you can do an offer and compromise yourself. You don't need anybody else to do it. You fill out the paperwork. They ask you a bunch of questions. It's about your finances. There's no trick to it. And, and they review it and decide whether or not they would accept less than what you owe them. And I can tell you, if you are working and you have an income, they don't accept these things. They have lots of time to sit back and wait to collect their money, and they're getting interest and penalties the whole time. The only people they ever settle with for less than what they owe are people who, for whatever reason, they don't think they're ever going to be able to get the money. The person's in prison or disabled or okay. you know, retired. Or. So, yeah, you'll hear stories where, oh, this person owed $100,000 and the IRS settled for five person's probably sitting in jail on a life sentence seriously i mean that that's but they can claim that it's a true story so if you look hard enough of course you can find those stories and that's what they use to advertise but all they're doing is charging you a couple thousand dollars to fill out paperwork you can fill out yourself but i would tell you if you're working well, don't even
8: bother I can, I can i can do that on my own yeah kevin i can do that on my own instead of giving the money to the company i
2: can get rather give that to pay down my uh, debt to the irs so if you want to try it and and you're willing to, you know, go through the paperwork, just Google offer and compromise and you'll find the program. You can fill out the paperwork. If you've got time you know, sitting around in the truck, why not? Um, I can tell you it's probably right. not going to work. Then we'll go back to the payment plan. This is much easier. If you owe them less than $10,000, the payment plan is automatic. No questions okay. asked. They'll just put you on a payment plan. Start sending them some money. Yeah, if you owe more than ten dollars, um, then you, then it's going to be pretty simple for you to set up your own payment plan. Um, uh-huh. One of the, I I sometimes hesitate to say this, but it, I've seen a lot of people do it. It works just fine. You can, without ignoring them, you can just start sending them money. As long as you're sending them money, I'm not going to guarantee it, but as long as you're sending them money, they normally just leave you alone. They normally don't file okay. liens. They don't file lip. They kind of say, hey, look, he's paying us, and I think you probably get shuffled to the back of somebody's desk. They go after the people who are just ignoring them and not paying them anything, not answering the letters. That That's not the official way to do it, but I've seen it, and for a lot of people, it works. Um, as long as you're sending them money, there. And I money, my
8: they're... return. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's oh, not, I follow exactly. my return, so it's not like they don't have any idea. You know.
2: Right. Right. So, so I, if you want to just start sending them some money every time you have some, that will probably right, take
8: care of it. That's not a problem. Yeah. And my my next wanna, question is to know, avoid this. Is um is the go ahead, Kevin? Go ahead and finish.
2: I was going to say, if you want to be a little safer, you can formally apply for the payment program. They'll get you, you, give you a set amount that you need to pay every month, and you pay it, and then you know they're not going to file liens or levies because you're in compliance right. with what they want. You can always send them more than that if you want.
8: Okay, next question. Depreciation. Do I need to become an S-Corp? And what what is the dollar amount that I need to start looking at becoming an S-Corp? I think it is, so I can uh, uh,
2: get, defer some of those when taxes. You, when you look at this tax return that you just filed and had a big bill, did you was the bottom line on your Schedule C more than sixty thousand dollars?
3: It was
8: just right under. Um, uh, it was like fourteen thousand in taxes on a fifty-six thousand
2: dollars. Yeah. Don't, don't do it yet. And and here's why, because all the money in the corporation is all the stuff you have to pay up front. You've got to pay to form the corporation. You have to pay the state filing fees. You've got to pay your accountant to set up payroll. You're going to have to pay more to get your taxes done. So that's all out of pocket and the benefit isn't going to come for over a year. So I'd rather see you take the money you would, and it, the benefit isn't, is not barely going to be big enough to be worth the cost now once you get over 60 then we start to balance out sometimes i actually say 65 i'm a little more comfortable with um what i'd rather see you do is take the money you would spend to set up the corporation give it to the irs to get this debt knocked down so they don't kill you with interest okay good stuff
7: i appreciate
8: you saving me some uh Cash on that, not to, you know, going with one of those companies that want to sign your power of attorney over to them and all that crazy stuff.
2: Yeah, well, you're welcome. There's a reason they can afford to run national TV and, and radio commercials. They make a lot of money doing this. And, and most people, I mean, go, go even, if, you know, for something to do, Google these companies and look for review sites and find out what people are really saying about their experience with them. You'll be shocked. Let's go to Missouri, Dan. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Kevin. I should have called uh, the program last night, but I wasn't thinking until this morning about it. Anyway, I have um, I'm having a shake in my front end. I had some. I've done ND alignments for years now, and I had one tire that was wearing funny on the front end. And I had the MD alignment redo it, and then I replaced the tire, and now I'm getting a shake at certain speeds, like 63 miles an hour. It shakes, and I'm trying to figure out what else could it be. Road King shocks, I have uh, the centering, centering, and I have counteract beads.
2: Uh, Has anybody done a really good thorough inspection of all the front-end parts?
3: uh pittsburgh power when i was up there a month ago uh looked at it and they said the front end looked good uh they thought my rear end uh the u-bolts were stretched a little bit but they couldn't do it and i had all the u-bolts replaced and then i had the MD alignment come out and and uh look it over and align it and then i went and replaced the tires
2: Yeah, there are several things that could cause this, and it sounds to me like it might end up being a little tricky. And the reason I say that is you're on top of things. I mean, you've used MD alignments, you're paying attention to things, you've uh, you've had it looked at, nobody's noticing anything obvious. I think I would get this to somebody, you know, like you said, maybe talking to Mike and Kevin Beckett on last night's show, they probably would have been able to help um usually if you're doing all the things you're doing i'm probably not going to be able to figure it out without being able to look at the truck um but somebody like mike right. beckett might be able um if you ever get near right now um,
3: since, the, since the tires are new there's there's no obvious wear on the tires at this point yet either so it's like okay no,
2: anyway that. uh yeah can, um, have you, uh, yeah, you I said I've you've used them. I rarely get to. camera you city. Them. Okay. That, that was going to be the, uh, the next recommendation. I, I would try to either call Chad, um, or call MD alignment directly and see if they can kind of give you a direction. I, I just think that right now you've covered a lot of your bases and, and I'm just going to be stabbing in the dark. So I, I don't want to waste your time. I'd rather you have somebody, um, take a look at the truck itself let's go to idaho gary welcome to the oh gary hold on i wasn't paying attention to the clock i will get back to you right after this break stick around we've got more stuff coming i'm kevin Roth. I'm Kevin Rutherford, we're going to get right back to the calls, who's going to go to Gary in Idaho. So Gary, go ahead.
4: Hello, Kevin. I'm following your blood sugar protocol. I've been monitoring my blood sugar with the the glucose meter. My question is, what is the blood sugar range of a normal healthy person, 80 to 110? (sighs)
2: Um, so, if we're talking about fasting blood sugar, we'll talk about fasting and what they refer to. If you happen to read anything about this, they'll call it postprandial, which just means after a meal. So, and that's when we want to check. We want to check fasting and then we want to check at different intervals after we eat foods and, you know, start to learn how different foods affect our blood sugar. Fasting, what we're really looking for, for the most part, is the lower the better. And very few people are ever going to show up lower than, say, 70, unless you're on some sort of medication. And then that changes everything. But if you're not on a a diabetic medication, the lower, the better. Um, If you show up in the 70s, that's outstanding. 80s are excellent. 90s, you're starting to get a little borderline. Um, And if you're consistently over 100, then you've got some blood sugar issues. Now, you obviously know you have blood sugar issues because you're working on it. So the the good news is it can always be fixed. I mean, I've seen people who had fasting blood sugars in the 120s, and now they're down into the 80s. So the longer you eat healthy and and lower carb, the better your blood sugar control will become. So where are your fasting numbers right now?
4: Generally, mid-80s. Oh, that's and excellent. That's excellent. Then you'll go. You know, you'll have breakfast, and we're working on getting lower carbs, higher fat. Breakfast is hard uh, to grow. Still learning how to lower the carbs on the breakfast meal. You'll go eight, eight, ten hours, uh, and then have another meal, and it'll be ninety-three. And so I okay. just kind of curious. the other the thing. Normal range. Here's life. the other thing to remember
2: that. You really don't start doing any damage to your body until you're over a hundred and forty for extended periods of time. So even when we say, I mean, we use fasting because fasting tells us what's happening long term without any food. I think that's an important number, but I think more important is how your body responds to food. Like if you can eat a high carbohydrate meal. And you might spike up to say 150 or 160, but within an hour, it's back down into the 110, 120 range. That's actually a good blood sugar response, a- and it tells us your body's not staying in that high range. Um, so I-, I think your numbers sound good. Uh, it, we can always cool. make them better, but you're you're. I don't see any problems there as far as breakfast goes. Um, I-, I find. Here's one of the things that I would start doing. We are probably one of the very few countries in the world that eats a specific type of food for breakfast. For most cultures in the world, breakfast is just a meal. Like, we don't really distinguish between lunch and dinner. We tend to eat the same kind of foods. Nobody would say you know, you were weird because you ate a hamburger at dinner. Nobody would say, oh, that's lunch food. But for some reason, we think that breakfast has specific foods. One of the ways yeah. to, to yeah. just forget that it's breakfast food. I, I eat, yesterday I had liver and two duck eggs for breakfast. And uh, sometimes I'll eat eggs for dinner. I don't think of eggs just as a breakfast food. I think of eggs as a really nutritious food and I like them. I, I will eat many, many times. I will eat whatever I had for dinner the night before for breakfast the next day. Now, I don't eat a lot of breakfast. I, I do bulletproof coffee 95% of the time, and I just don't eat breakfast at all. I like bulletproof coffee. I like the fat. I love the way I feel. So normally, my first meal doesn't come till about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But if you want to eat breakfast, one, either think of things like eggs are excellent. Um it, breakfast meats, don't overdo that kind of stuff, but a little bit of that is fine. It, vegetables. But throw away the notion of breakfast food. Just eat whatever you like.
4: Yeah,
2: because you know, I guess raised pancakes, so we'll change that habit. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. We we've been uh you know, we've kind of been That's been our culture forever. I mean, the whole time I've been on the planet, breakfast food was very specific. I I threw that idea away a long time ago. I I eat, I I mean, there are some mornings if I do eat breakfast, um, I might eat sardines and kimchi for breakfast. It's food. I mean, it's food that I like and it's food that fits the ketogenic profile. Let's go to, oh, I had a call I was gonna go to and it just disappeared. Let's go to Indiana. Robert, welcome to the program.
9: Hey, Kevin. Uh, I've been um, supplementing my protein with the collagen and I've been hearing uh, now that collagen is not a complete protein and I shouldn't be counting it as part of my protein.
2: Um, so here's the thing: Are you really worried about how much protein you're getting?
9: Yeah, I called you a while back, and I was I was mainly getting like a maximum of like 25 grams of protein, and that was one of the things you were suggesting was I could do the collagen to kind of supplement.
1: Oh, so
2: so you were like really low in protein?
9: Yes, I was supposed to be around 80.
2: Yeah. So. As far as protein goes, I I just think we think way too much about protein. Most people are overdoing it and then still trying to supplement with it, like protein shakes and protein bars. And To me, protein is like the easiest macronutrient to get. Protein's everywhere. Protein's in eggs. It's in nuts. It's in seeds. It's obviously in all of the meats. If you eat organ meats, it's off heart's high in protein. So for me, I'm I'm always trying to figure out a way to get a little less protein. So, you know, when somebody isn't getting enough, um, that's a different story. It, it's correct. Collagen is not a complete protein, but I'm not taking it because I want a complete protein. I'm taking it for the benefits of the colli- collagen and the gelatin, which really have nothing specifically to do with being a complete protein um so i would continue to take that if you still tell me what your diet's like like what do you eat in a day
9: uh i be i eat the the bulletproof coffee in the morning uh i do the intermittent fasting so i have that and then um i usually eat about two or three o'clock in the afternoon and and then i have you know either the steak or the sausage and and that's what really gets me up around uh the 20, 30 grams.
2: Well, how much, how much, when you sit down and eat a piece of steak, how big is it?
9: It's only like six, six ounces. Cause I told you I can only eat about four to six ounces of steak every time.
2: Yeah. Which is fine. But, but six ounces of most steak is more than 25 grams of protein. It's almost double that. Okay. So I, I don't know that I would worry so much about protein. Uh, and the collagen is an excellent supplement for a lot of reasons. So the fact that it might not be complete, I wouldn't worry too much about. Um, like, you know, the, the, if you get eggs, have lots of protein, cheese has protein, nuts, seeds. You might be surprised that you're getting more protein than what you believe. And here's the other thing. Are you feeling like you're losing muscle mass?
9: no
2: see i I think as a society we have overdone the whole protein thing i i even and and some people say oh but i work out a lot yeah i still don't think we need nearly as much protein as as what most people believe and i believe that most people fail to calculate their protein properly i don't think they're looking at all the sources of protein It's just as easy to mess up. Some people believe they're eating low carb until they really calculate every bite they're taking. So, you know, if you're unsure um, what you might want to do. I know it's kind of a hassle. I did it for a while and I go back to it once in a while. You might want to use an app like MyFitnessPal and and really see um, if you're being accurate on your counts or not. And if you are I would just seek out some good whole food sources of protein. Even if you eat one more ounce of beef every time you eat it, that kicks up your protein quite a bit. Throw in a, a hard-boiled egg once in a while. And, and like I say, the most ketogenic kind of snacks, I, I struggle finding snacks that are high enough in fat and low enough in protein that I don't get too much protein. So keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about the fact that the uh, collagen gelatin, uh, that we weren't taking it for complete protein. We're we're taking it for the components that are in it. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. back i'm kevin rutherford we're gonna get right back to the phone calls we're off to missouri brian welcome to the program
6: hi how you doing
2: doing good what can i help you with today
6: well my company has recently been a victim of uh i'd say identity fraud there's a group of individuals that have called up brokers or and got loads under my mc number sending fake certificates of insurance, fake MC certificates, fake W-9s, and then they're rebrokering it through a, a company as of right now in the, uh, called Long Haul Trucking, and I've called every federal agency known to man. They're using Google, which you can't shut down the phone numbers. They're using Gmail, which you can't shut the Gmail down. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of loads that that these carriers are picking up that they'll never get paid for, for one. And what recourse am I going to have legally when all this comes to a head, when all these invoices come due? Oh,
2: boy, Um, this sucks. Let's just start with that. Um, I've certainly heard of it happening. I've read stories about it happening. I've never followed through to find out what you do. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but I don't. I, I can maybe point you in the right direction to find some help. Um, have you ever listened to our podcast, Trucking with Authority, with Kenny Long?
6: Um, I did, but then I've, been, I've had my authority for so long, I really haven't had a chance to listen to it lately.
2: You might want to start there. I'm going to give you somewhere else you can start and you may get an answer quicker. But one of the things, Kenny runs a great show Um, for people just getting started and for people who have been doing it a long time. He covers some pretty in-depth topics and he does a really good job of it. He does a lot of research. Um, He gets help from a lot of people who specialize in certain things. Um, There are a couple attorneys. Kenny's, I, I believe he's had him on the show. Um, Henry Seaton is a really good transportation attorney we've worked with him in the past, and I believe Kenny's had him on the show. So, because Kenny deals with authority to stay in touch with these topics a whole lot more than I do, so he would he oh, may okay. have an answer for you right away, or he may have other resources for you. But but you may want to check Henry Seaton's office and see if they can point okay. you in the right direction, help you with this, or um, uh, you know, Kenny's show might, might be another great place to get an answer. Let me, uh, real quick. I'll tell you when his show is on. Um, he's on every Tuesday at 7 PM Eastern time. And if you go to the website, okay. let's truck.com, look on audio road, you'll see all of our podcasts, the times they're on the phone numbers you use to call. But um, right off the top of my head, this isn't a topic I follow enough to be of any real help here, but I'm sure Kenny will be. Um, And if he doesn't answer your question directly, he'll know who can.
6: Right. It should be because uh, there is a lot of, I know, unsuspecting smaller carriers that are going to think they're getting paid, and they're going to not because of the double brokerage and the false – identity right but i've i found that every single one of them all went back to a gmail account so that's one yeah. for you know anyone listening if they get a brokerage with a gmail that's or a carrier it's probably you know fake. So,
1: so this and is
2: not, this is another lesson for the listeners it's not going to help you right now but another good lesson for the listeners and i know i hammer this all the time but but i You know, this stuff does happen in the real world. This is why I say as a small carrier, your business model should not be randomly pulling loads off load boards and calling brokers. You don't even know, you know, you got to. To me, if you if you follow the idea of build a relationship, go sit down and visit these people. Work with a handful of brokers, and it only takes a couple brokers to keep you busy. If you have a good relationship with them, if you've done the hard work, and then you you don't fall victim to scams like this. And and I realize every once in a while, you're going to find yourself in a place and you might have to use somebody you don't know. And then things like you're pointing out, look, if it's a Gmail account, maybe you need to dig a little deeper before you take that load.
6: Right. I myself have dedicated freight, so I don't use the load boards. So that's what got me when I'm getting calls. Hey, where's my load? (laughs) Uh, What load?
2: (laughs) What load? Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad you called. I wish I could have helped. Um, But again, this is not something I spend a lot of my time on. Kenny does, though. Kenny's really good at this stuff. So um, for all of you, check out our podcast. That's why we have them. Um, I don't have time to be up to the minute on all of these topics and, you know, a show like rolling toe with Mike Beckett about tires and alignment. Mike's been doing this for 40 years. I, I, no matter how much time I want to spend studying that topic, I'll never be as good as he is. Kenny is working this stuff every day. Um, and we have lots of other podcasts. If I talk about them all, I'll, I'll, uh, won't get to any questions. So go to the website, let look under the audio road tab and check out our other shows. They're excellent. Let's go to Ohio. Doug, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin fair tax now. Absolutely. What's on your mind today?
6: Uh, I have a feeling I may be unleashing, a, uh, unleashing Cerberus. Uh, I want your opinion on Jason's Law, the Mike's Law amendment named after Mike Boglin, the driver that was killed up in uh, the Detroit area waiting to make a delivery at Tyson Crop, and drivers getting concealed carry licenses and arming themselves while on the road.
2: So, um, Jason's law, I, I vaguely understand. So I'm not going to say I'm certainly an expert on this. Jason's law is where they were just really pushing to get more parking. Right. I mean, that's the general idea. Yes. Or safe. Parking. So I, I've talked about this before, and this is a sensitive subject. I, I mean, this is his widow pushing for this. I am certainly not going to criticize her for doing it. I am glad she is out there. Um, I don't think that's the best way to solve the parking problem, but she's doing something. I'm just not a big believer in government solving these kind of problems for us. So I, 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 I don't want to comment a lot on on laws and proposed laws because I don't follow them. And I don't, you know, this kind of reminds me of uh, what just happened with Gary Johnson and the media. The media asked Gary Johnson "Where about Aleppo. And Gary Johnson's response was, what's Aleppo? He didn't know what it was, where it was, and he's being ridiculed for it. But his answer makes total sense. As a libertarian, you don't give a flying where Aleppo is or what it is. We should be solving our problems here in our country, not running around the world trying to solve everybody else's. So his point was, why would I know that? I, I don't believe we should be there in the first place. It's kind of my answer to this. I I don't know about a lot of these laws and regulations because I don't believe that's the answer. So I'm not criticizing anybody that that is out there doing something. That's what they believe will work. Then that's what they believe. That's what they should be doing, what they believe in. I I don't believe laws and regulations are going to fix
6: it. And at least they're getting up and doing something instead of just whining about it.
2: Exactly. So even if I believed that they were wrong, I wouldn't criticize them because they're doing what they believe in. And, and they are trying to make something better. I just think that I have, you know, other opinions about what would work better than trying to get the government to fix this. And, and it's possible that they're doing things other than the government. Like I say, I don't pay attention to it. So I don't want to criticize what they're doing. As far as concealed carry. I've been very clear about this in the past. People ask me, well, do you know what the rules are? Do you know what the laws are? Can I carry in this state? What if I have this permit? And my answer is kind of the same thing. I travel on the road. It's not in a commercial vehicle anymore, but I put a million miles in a commercial vehicle, little more than that. I still spend a lot of time on the road in my coach. I could give a damn what the laws are. I will tell you I'm fairly heavily armed when I travel. I don't care what the laws are, because here's the the thing. If I go research the law, all I'm going to find out is that I'm breaking the law somewhere and I'm not gonna change it. So why do I care? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So that's my take on that issue. It's always been my take on that issue. I'm not going to worry about what the laws are because I'm not going to follow them anyway. I guess I'll never be able to run for president with statements like that. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. kevin rutherford we're down to the final segment i'm going to get to some more calls you know i love my job i i love the fact that i get to talk about trucks and tires and oil samples and fuel injectors and taxes and politics and being a libertarian and gallbladders and health and it's just just love what i do let's get back to some phone calls let's go to texas evelyn welcome to the program
9: hello kevin
1: can I help you with
9: Hello? today. Well, I my husband bought me
4: some stuff, products from you, and I was curious on how to use them.
2: Okay. What did he it's get the you?
4: H-I- H I H H C I plus, I P S and Optional E S P A capsule.
2: Got it. So let's talk about what those three things do and then how you should take them. HCl plus. I know okay. it looks like HCl. Um, that is that is yeah. hydrochloric. Acid. It's stomach acid, and we take it because okay. virtually every that I've come across has weak stomach acid, and as we get older, especially if we weren't always eating a really good diet there's a very, very high likelihood that you could benefit from additional stomach acid. So let's start with that one. The way you take that one, the way you figure out your dose, because everybody is different, but I love this because it's so easy to figure out what dose works for us. What I want you to do is sit down with a a good size meal. And when I say good size, obviously that's different for everybody, but I want you to sit down with, probably the largest meal you would normally consume. So, for example, for me, that might be a six-ounce piece of meat of some kind or seafood, um, a big old pile of vegetables, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, something like that, or a big salad, and maybe a little bit of carbohydrate. And, and, you know, throw in some fat, some butter, whatever it is you're eating, a good-sized meal. Right before you start eating that meal, I want you to take one of those capsules. And then I want you to start eating. And I want you to be relaxed. I want you to chew properly. And wait about three minutes. And if you don't feel anything a little unusual in your stomach, and, and what, what we're looking for is maybe a little bit of pressure right behind your sternum, a little bit of a burning sensation, maybe, or just some warmth. If you don't feel that after three or four minutes, keep eating But take another one of those capsules and wait another three or four minutes. And if you don't feel anything, take another one. Now, I have had people run out of food before they they get enough capsules to feel anything. I've had people that need to take as many as 12 of these with every meal. Now, typically, those are people who have been on some sort of heartburn medication for a very, very long time. Like the one person I'm thinking of that needed 12 had been on an acid blocker for 25 years. So his stomach just doesn't even produce stomach acid anymore. And, and it created all kinds of health problems. So for me, I, I can start feeling it at about two. Whatever, whatever number you get to when you feel it, then one less than that number will be your dose when you eat a big meal. So let's say you, you do this little test that I just talked about, and you get to five before you feel it. Well, the next time you eat a big meal, take four of those. We don't want you to be uncomfortable. We don't want you to feel it every time. Four would be good. If you eat a meal that's maybe half that size, only take two. And you know, within a couple days of doing this, you're going to know what your dose is. And I will tell you, though, over time, your dose should diminish. So if, if, if we determine that your dose is four per meal, in two or three weeks, you might take four with a big meal and start to feel it. And then you want to reduce it to three. And our goal is to get you off of this completely. Once you start taking enough stomach acid, as long as you're eating a good diet, your body will start digesting the nutrients properly and it will start making its own stomach acid the way it was designed. So this isn't a supplement we should have to take the rest of our life. This is a supplement we use to kick start our own body. Okay. That makes sense. Now, the yes, IPS. It does. Okay. The IPS, if you take any of that HCL and you are just really uncomfortable, like you do feel like you have some stomach pain, That would indicate that your stomach and the rest of your digestive system might be damaged. And for most of us, we do have damage in our digestive system because of our diet. The IPS is what we refer to as a gut healing supplement. So you can do it at the same time as the HCL unless you have discomfort. Then I would tell you to stop the HCL for a while and focus on the IPS. Now, the IPS, this is one of those supplements that it's almost impossible to take too much. I, I, know, I know some practitioners that that put people on 12 of these a day and, and sometimes more. I, I'm not usually that aggressive. It doesn't do any damage. I just don't want you spending that much money. I'm not sure that that much is really going to help that much more. I, I would say take six a day. And and you want to take this when you're not eating. So if you eat breakfast in the morning and and you're going to, let's say you eat breakfast at eight and you're going to eat lunch at noon, you would want to take two IPS at 10. And then a couple hours after lunch, you would want to take two more. And then a couple hours after dinner, take two more. Um, If you don't have any like real digestive discomfort, I would only do one bottle of this. And after one bottle, I would probably discontinue it. If you have a lot of digestive discomfort, I would keep doing this until it got better. Um, The EFAs, those are essential fatty acids that keeps a really good balance between omega-3, omega-6, and omega-9. It's hard to get those nutrients in a good balance in our diet unless you eat a lot of seafood. If you eat a lot of seafood, a lot of grass-fed butter, a lot of grass-fed meats, a lot of pastured chickens and, and eggs, if you do that, you probably don't need this supplement. But most people aren't eating a lot of seafood. They're not eating a lot of grass-fed and pastured animals or eggs. So this is a supplement I would recommend taking anywhere from two to four a day, depending on your diet. And I would take this for as long as your diet doesn't give you all those other nutrients. Um, the omega-6, we get way too much of that in our diet. Um, omega-9, most people don't get enough of. And omega-3, nobody gets enough of. So that, that's why we have this supplement. So this one, again, it, it's, you don't have to worry about taking too much of this one. Um, but two to four should be fine for most people.
9: Now, can I take that with the HDI or take one in the morning, uh, two in the morning?
2: Yeah, the EFAs you can take anytime you want.
3: Okay. But not more than four a day.
2: I wouldn't take more than four a day, no. And I, I would take four if your diet is poor, meaning you're eating a lot of conventionally raised meat if you're eating out often, if you're eating... I, you used, know,
4: you're, I used to, but I, I, I've I been changing it because I get chewed out when I don't. Yeah, so...
2: So for me, I've played around with taking the EFA, but I'm not very consistent at it because I, I try to work really hard to make sure I eat more seafood, more sardines. You know, all of the beef I eat is... I would say 95% of the meat I eat is grass-fed and pastured. Last night, I did go out to a restaurant. So I I ate some prime rib last night. I know it's raised conventionally. But I I try hard to make sure I'm getting the omega-3s in my diet and not getting an overload of omega-6. So most drivers, I would recommend four a day. If you're working on eating a better diet, you might be just fine with two a day. Let's go to, you know what, Uh, let's go to South Carolina. David, I've got about a minute and a half to get uh, to your oil sample here. Okay. See what I can tell you. Uh, Was there about 60,000 miles on the oil? No, that's wrong. How many miles were on the oil? 19,288.
4: I had it in the shop or
2: something, so I figured it was about halfway-ish. Got it. And uh, what year is this? It's uh, 2011 uh, Snyder Glider with the Detroit. You have possibly a uh, fuel dilution problem, an injector problem, but I I would hold off. I, I would do one more sample before I decided. You're kind of borderline. Um, so I don't want you to run out and get yeah, injectors. I'm, but it, it it's there's yeah, I've a pretty got a little good bit
0: chance, of a rough
3: idle in there.
2: Yeah, there's a pretty good chance you need it. But right now it's not doing any damage. The rest of the oil sample looks good. So that means we have some time. We don't have to jump the gun. Let's do one more sample and then we'll figure it out from there. Thanks for joining me today. I'm all out of time. I've got to get out of here. I'll see you next time. Be safe be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey. i Kevin Ruff. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for the Power Hour and General Questions.